it's really sensitive you know you can't you can't just say no or you are wrong to a customer you have to go and and yeah be delicate with your answer which which is it shouldn't you know it, it shouldn't because sometimes people are really rude today on dirty linen we are talking about the art of hospitality with someone who I've been in touch with a little bit through the crazy past year. Her name is Ilanit Bard. And actually, if I think back, I first encountered you, Ilanit, when you were the restaurant manager at Lume in South Melbourne. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, you've left Lume and you sort of mid-pandemic, you decided you needed to take some time for yourself to, to learn and unlearn, to discover and find your purpose, as you wrote to me in an email. You sort of took COVID as an opportunity to make some big changes in your life. Um, and out of that, you formed your new company, which is called Swanye Hospitality Solution. Now, tell me about that journey and tell us what Swanye is. Yeah. So first, thank you, Danny. I'm grateful for the opportunity to chat with you and to voice my opinion. So thank you very much. Um, so yes, during lockdown, I reflect on my relationship with the hospitality industry and I realized that hospitality is at the core of who I am and where I came from. I learned how to host, serve and entertain guests at home before I knew how to read. So um, hospitality is everything that I have and I can carry with me around the world. This is what I know and I know how to do and I'm not sure I know something else. So yes, I founded Swanee Hospitality at the end of the second lockdown. Uh, Swanee is my 12 years of expertise in this industry and is at the service of restaurateur. I am an hospitality expert and a problem solver. So Swanee is French for meticulous, healed and thoughtful. I intend to help fellows restaurateur and hospital worker seeking for support and alternative solution in an industry that doesn't fit any existing structures. I am here to disrupt at my level and build better standard. Um, so I have been working on project with a few clients since then and that to feed their budget and needs. And through Swanee, I focus on manager on demand, company culture, training program design, event architect, day-to-day -day operational solution, and advice. I think you're a bit of a revolutionary, I have to say, but I would like to start by asking you to explain a bit more about how you became a hospitality professional at such a age, even before you learned how to read. Tell me about the house that you grew up in. Yeah, so I grew up in a Jewish household. Uh, my mom was born in North Africa and my dad from Middle East. Uh, three of the four kids were the first generation born in France. So I, I always felt ashamed of who I was because I grew up in an anti-Semitism environment in France. And hospitality is somehow what keeps me and my family granted to our culture and heritage. Wow, that's amazing. So even in this, um, you know, this difficult situation where there was discrimination, was your family very hospitable? Like were your parents the kind of people that were always over and feeding them yeah yeah I grew up with a really large dining table I think that's the only things I can recall from my house when I was a child is the big table with a lot of chairs around it and always guests at home for Shabbat which is the celebration on Friday evening and we always have like a lot of guests were non-Jewish uh, because where I grew up uh, I think I was the only Jewish family back then so 
yeah, I grew up in a, around a really large dining table, and I think that's where my love for hospitality comes from. And how did you end up in Melbourne at, at Lume Restaurant in South Melbourne? So, yes, I, uh, I came on working holiday visa about seven years ago. I was planning to stay three months in Australia for holiday. And, yeah, there is always a good reason for me to stay in the country. And Lume was part of it. A few, it was about three years ago now, I met Sean Quaid, who was the former chef at Lume. And I had an interview with him. I didn't have any fine dining experience because I came from uh, bistro and wine bars and LGBT community wine bar. So that was a big step up for me to go into fine dining. But he really liked the fact that I wasn't um, so structured and I didn't have... Um, the fine dining manners. So he gave me my he gave me my chance uh, to become the restaurant manager. And a few months after, when he decided to move to America, I took his position as general manager. So within six months, I became the general manager of Lume. Wow, that's an amazing leap. Um, but I think you know, I think when I first encountered you at Lume, there was such an amazing sense of spirit around the place. Like it was a very theatrical restaurant. It wasn't so much that you were going there for a meal, although the food was incredible. You were you're really going there for an experience. It was very interactive. It was all about the element of surprise. And I think it, it really wasn't a normal restaurant. Is that something? that appeal to you? Is that something that you brought to it? And is it something that you feel is is lacking or that, you know, elements of that could be brought into to regular restaurants? Yeah, uh, I didn't bring that to Lume. It was already there when I started. And I just fall in love with this kind of experience because, yes, restaurant is not just about a meal and, and the drinks. It's about living an experience, trying new things, uh, meeting new people. And so I really embraced that and I even went deeper with, with Sean and, and developed that um, through my time there with him. And when we changed chef, we kept the concept and tried to, yeah, just to give to people um, a different way to travel. Um, and um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think I just mentioned a couple of things that I remember from eating at Lume. One of them is that the staff had done some theatre theater training. Um, and another one is that I went to a special dinner there. Maybe it was part of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. And it was all around mad scientists. And the, it, there were, we were seated, seated at a shared table. And we only discovered right at the end of the evening that some of the fellow guests were actually performers and had been leading us through a, a performance as, as part of the meal. So I guess that's just a little insight into the fact that it wasn't it wasn't just a regular restaurant experience. But you know, it wasn't. It neither was it just completely wacky. Like there was serious, you know, gastronomy going on as well. Um, so I mean, it's a pretty quick progression through the industry, Ilanit. So I'm just wondering, you know, what is it that you've seen and learnt along the way that makes you feel qualified to go to other businesses and tell them, you know, what they could do better? Yeah, I think I went, so I started my journey and uh, my career in Australia as a kitchen porter at, at Crown Casino in 2013. So I went through basically all the, the roles and position between kitchen porter and venue manager, restaurant manager and general manager. 
and I encountered so much trouble, so much problem uh, that I had to solve. So sometimes I had the experience, sometimes I didn't. So I just gained the knowledge um, within the problem. And that makes me today um, being standing strong and saying, yes, I'm an hospitality expert because I went through so much shit during the seven years in this industry in Australia that I feel ready to help others. And I might not be perfect. I made tons of mistakes in, uh, in all my position. Um, but it, this is not the most important thing. It's like I'm always um, a anti-fragile, like always uh, ready to go through it, uh, ready to learn new things and staying humble. So I think that's... Yeah, that's what helped me and going to help today with my business. Did you say you were anti-fragile? Yes. Whoa, I love that expression. That's yes, it's uh, it's actually from, let me find out for you. Uh, it's from a book that I read. Um, let me see the name if I can find it. Uh, Nassim Nicola Taleb. It's a book from, yeah, being... Um, yeah, being anti-fragile and always like keeping fighting, basically. Okay, I need you to send me the name of that book, and we'll uh, we'll share it with the listeners. Um, okay, so talk to me about some of the shit that you've experienced or seen along the way. What if, what do you think's wrong with the industry? Uh, shall I start by toxic masculinity? My favorite topic. Go for it. Yeah, so I do believe that as a woman uh, in a male dominant industry, it's not easy, but it's not even, it's, it's not easier when you are an immigrant woman with a thick accent, uh, under 30 years old, um, dealing with like some Pellegrino chef or um, Hattie chef or stuff like that. It's actually really difficult, not just with them, but with the whole team. Um, I think this is just a, a regular a problem in, in the industry. Um, there is also the lack of time um, to educate the staff, to train the staff properly and correctly. There is no enough resource. Um, there is, I think everything it's, uh, it's an issue in hospitality right now. Everything needs to have a big makeover and change. It's necessary. Mm. So what kinds of things are people asking you to do when you go into their businesses at the moment? Yeah. So first I always try to get a good picture and understanding of what the business is about. I need to understand the core values. Uh, and then they encounter different problems. So, so far I had to mentor a general manager. I had to improve um, the floor standard in a restaurant. Uh, I had some training program to design, some event to run. So it's really like day-to-day -day operational kind of things. I can help with a lot of different topics inside a restaurant. Because, mm. you know, I'm imagining that no one would, well, I, I don't imagine people would come to you and say, Ilanit, I really need to deal with a toxic masculinity in my workplace. Can you please help me? So if you um, go into a workplace and they've asked you to sort out, let's say, front of house processes, but you see that there's some cultural problems in a restaurant, what do you do about it? Yeah, absolutely. So I always look at the company culture. It's important to see how the role model are behaving inside the restaurant um, so I spend time with them uh, inside the restaurant, like a, like a normal FOH. 
and I just observe and I read the handbook and I go through all the process, protocol, all the feedback that the restaurant receive. Uh, I really like put apart the restaurant uh, call and find out where the problem um, is laying. You know, it's like it's like a research basically. And uh, and yes, there is no restaurant coming at me saying, yeah, we have an issue with toxic masculinity. Can you do something about it? Um, and by myself, I won't be able to help. I need them to understand that the problem is actually occurring inside their walls. Um, and that's my business to consult and telling them, you know, I heard someone having this kind of comment. Also, where, where are the women in your restaurant? Why it's only male dominant kitchen? Um, yeah, just asking the right question and finding out, I guess. Do you have, I mean, you must have some interesting responses to, um, to those insights. What is it? Do you, do people have trouble hearing that from you? Sometimes. Uh, it, first of all, I'm French, so I'm really straightforward. <laughs> uh, so that can be sometimes a bit coming across rudeness, which is not. Tough love is still love in this case, right? So I just want to uh, give the best to them. And if they trust me, so it's my responsibilities to give them my insight and be really frank and honest about it so yeah it can come it can be difficult some pe- for some people some restaurateur might not take it very well but so far i didn't experience that people i met are really passionate about what they are doing and they really want to do better so they listen and we work together to improve the business mm. wow i mean do you find this work satisfying Yes, it's really hard. Like I didn't even think that it will be that hard because it's so many businesses at the same time. So, so many stories, so many people, faces and problems and situation. Uh, but I enjoy it because when I go back home at night, I feel like I, I actually did something for an industry, not just a restaurant. I myself walk the walk and talk the talk, you know, I'm actually in line with online with my values and yeah I just defend what I scream on my Instagram and I yeah I just I just be myself and that feels really good all right well let's talk about your Instagram at uh, Swanye Hospo and it was actually your most recent post that made me reach out to you to have this chat today um it's about where it's, it's about you questioning where the rules of hospitality come from. And it, it particularly resonated with me because I've recently read an article uh, from the American Food and Wine magazine, and it's about toxic service culture in the United States. Now, at the moment, it's everything is heightened and exacerbated by the fact that the pandemic is raging through, um, through America. Um, but I think the issues, as, as we've seen with so many things through the pandemic, it highlights issues that were there anyway. So if we, if I just um, try to summarise it, it talks about, you know, the culture of, of tipping and how that um, puts an, Im- an imbalance of power structure into a relationship that I guess is already imbalanced, one of service and res- someone that serves and someone that receives. Um, but in a culture of... Uh, no income support, no business support in the US as, as they've got dealing with the pandemic there. It's really heightened. Uh, the rules around whether restaurants can open or not are, are really unclear. And so there are a lot of businesses and workers who are being put or putting themselves in incredibly dangerous situa- situations because they're so vulnerable. And 
you know, some commentary around the article that I read basically said any customer that goes to, that wants to dine in in a restaurant in America at the moment is basically an asshole because they are putting people in danger. But at the same time, there are people who've got no income who feel forced to work. Um, in that context, the customers aren't even being nice. There were a lot of stories about customers being absolutely horrible. And I suppose leaning into that power imbalance in the way that they were treating people, they felt really entitled. So that's a summary a not very good summary of a very long article that I will also put the link to in these in the show notes. But I feel, Eleniot, that you will have some things to say about this. Yeah, um, 100%. Service in, in the industry, uh, inside the industry, is often perceived as the last important things on the picture, right? Like after the wall factor and just before the outlook of the venue's bathroom. It is underrated, but good f- service makes the food taste better, right? Mm. Uh, and I feel like I heard that a hundred times before. FOH isn't simply just human beings carrying plates. They create and guide guests through an experience that resonates with the food and the concept of a venue. And uh, they are also faces, the voice, the, 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 the energy of a venue. And uh, the service hasn't been disrupted as the food scene in Australia. Uh, some hospitality protagonists and the general public also aren't ready for it just now. So nothing compared to America, I guess. Uh, but we have in Australia a lot of things to to sort out also. Um, and and yeah, it's 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 uh, the, the 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 service holds the hierarchy of power, etiquette, and statue. It's like cognitive dissonance you know like it's more uncomfortable to change than thinking things needs to change basically Mm. because yeah I feel like you know if you get a a rude customer the everyone in the restaurant would know that it was wrong but there's a culture of the customer always being right and that it's easier just to you know have five drinks and complain about it with your co-workers at the end of the night rather than do the much more difficult task of, of calling it out in the moment or um, or of working as you are to really change the culture. Yeah, I think this is, uh, yeah, this is the culture uh, who, who needs to change. Like, no, the customer isn't always right and that's okay. We, are, we, we can educate people, we can use non-violent communication skills to change that, to make them aware of that. Uh, but he's not encouraged by the management team, never. And myself as a manager, when I was a manager, I didn't encourage neither having a staff member um, answering straight away to a customers. I would rather do it myself because uh, because it's uh, it's really sensitive, you know. You can't you can't just say no or you are wrong to a customer. You have to go and um, and yeah, be delicate with your answer. Which, which is, it shouldn't, you know, it, it shouldn't because sometimes people are really rude. What kind of strategies do you give people to deal with that or what kind of strategies would you use yourself? Yeah, so I always try, first of all, to not take things personally, which is extremely hard when you give all your time to a restaurant and having a customer who just complain without, without understanding what it takes behind to make things happen in a restaurant. So I try to not taking things personally. I, um, I try to put myself in the shoes of my customers. Why they complain? What is the, the, the core of the problem here? Um, sometimes just people are carrying their problem inside the restaurant 
right? It's it's just like everybody had a bad day, and that's fine. I just try to to stay polite, and uh, and I'm always sorry for them to not enjoying their experience, rather than we are sorry that we didn't give you your experience. You know, it's because they can't enjoy it, or or they have difficulty to just enjoy what we offer them. And, um, and yeah, and then I always try to find a solution, you know, or refund or discount or give voucher, something just to arrive to a, a positive outcome from a negative situation. Right. Interesting. Um, in your post, you say that a business should ask itself, you know, ask yourself if the set of rules you're including in your business culture are valid. Are they inclusive? Are they respectful? Are they beneficial for your guests and your staff? Or are they here because the venue you compete with follows them? You're really mm-hmm. asking people to have a, a really close look at their business values, aren't you? Yes, really important. Like I saw so many businesses doing things just for the f- sake of doing things because it's like that. And always been because Rockpool is doing like that, because Lume is doing like that, because Bray is doing like that. But what about you as as a restaurant? I Okay, you want to... Uh, to uh, achieve a certain level which I totally understand and it's good to have people to look up on but what about the set of rules is it like bring you there is it really that or is like more inclusive uh, workplace is it like giving the chance to people is it listening your people inside your venue having protocol having like a, a way to get feedback from your staff you know that that's the things they should look um, you should look within instead of looking out, you know. Sometimes I think handbook, it's really important, like the set of uh, of rules and standards should be, um, yeah, should be reflecting the business ethos, you know. And I think sometimes it's it's simply not. It's just uh, it looks like an, uh, the handbook of somebody else or another business. I think we've seen through COVID and as restaurants have reopened that they have sort of drawn some lines in the sand and asked for the things that they need. And I'm thinking about things like credit card details, booking slots, uh, set menus. Do you think this is also an opportunity for people to really say what they need in terms of, you know, their personal experience? Mm, That's a good question, actually. Um... Yeah, I think it's good that restaurants draw boundaries with the customers and, yeah, set the tone, basically, because late cancellation um, are just, like, uh, yeah, really bad for restaurants. We see that before COVID and we will see that now. Um, Is that going to stay? No, because now there is a pressure to go back to normal. Uh, People don't want to do chef's, chef's menu anymore or set menus. They want a la carte, you know. So I think it's a, it was just a small fight and it will go back to what it was before. That's, that's the way I, I see things. Mm, interesting. Because I think also, you know, a lot of people realise things about the way that they were living that they wanted to change through, through lockdown or through their work life being so disrupted. So do you think for restaurant staff that, that this is an opportunity to say, you know what, I, I I can't work those hours or I need I need this to change, whatever it is, you know, I need a locker or a place to change or I don't know what it is, whether it's something mm-hmm. really practical or something something that's a little bit harder to pin down. Do you think that there are those opportunities there at the moment? Yes, especially because there is a lack of uh, staff at the moment. So I think hospital workers are the opportunity now to voice their demands a bit better than before um but yeah 
the whole culture needs to change, you know. It's basically, it's a lot of, um, we need to normalize self-care in hospitality and, you know, needed equipment and wanted to work less hour and stuff like that. It needs to change within the culture, not just within one or two businesses. How do you think that can happen when you're saying, you know, customers are starting to get a bit grumbly about set menus and those other rules that restaurants have laid down for them? You know, how does how does that all change um, when there are so many pressures that are put to bear on restaurants? Yeah, they, uh, yeah, restaurateurs feel like, uh, we, we, we say that in French, between the hammer and the nails. I don't know if you have this expression in, in English. We say a rock and a hard place. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> uh, so they feel like between two things and they don't know how to deal with that. And, um, and yeah, they, they have to because if they want to have people entering the restaurant and sitting and eating and consuming, they will have to... They will have to change that and go back to a la carte and not taking like dep- not taking any deposit in case of no show or late cancellation or stuff like that. I, I'm I'm afraid, yeah, it's it's not gonna change today. It's maybe a beginning of something, but it will take more time. It's not an overnight um, new concept, you know. Mm. Uh, tell me your thoughts on the food media and evil critics such as myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So first, I um, I have nothing against food journalists uh, directly. What I'm against is the rating culture. I wrote something a few months ago, actually. Like it was like uh, working in a hated restaurant does not mean that you are legit. It means that you work in a restaurant rated by a small group of people who make a living off rating your knowledge, experience, expertise, craft, and art. Rating culture is the poison in this industry. So I, I do have nothing against people who write. Um, I think the, the culture itself of rating restaurant and yeah, it was my first time serving a critiques when I, uh, when I just get into Lume. The article was really positive about my new lead on the floor. But in the same line, the journalist mentioned that the previous style of the restaurant was comparable of Johnstown Massacre, you know, during the Cool Aid, uh, which was a cult massacre of 900 people in the 80s, uh, in the 90, 80s, yeah. So I found that offensive and a bit way too much, you know what I mean? So um, I tried to find out the rating system for the Good Food Guide, for instance, to understand how the hats are distributed uh, but cannot find a specific answer. So that reinforces what I think. Food and beverage are so subjective, right? You can't simply, you can't, you can't rate it. You can certainly have an opinion, but that's it. So I, um, I saw during COVID that uh, food journalists are actually engaging and reposting and sharing and helping restaurants. Um, that, that's really good. But um, before that, I... Um, yeah, I don't find that it was really helpful what they were doing. Like, for instance, Lume went from two hats to zero hats overnight. And some customer were coming and say, oh, but you don't have two hats anymore. So why your cocktail is $24? Like, almost like we have to justify our prices um, in regards to how many hats we have, which is not right, you know, which is which is totally wrong. So, yeah, that's what, that's what I think about 
had and yeah, food critics and food journalists. I think the culture needs to change. It's interesting. So, so do you think if someone could write a review but there was no score or hats attached to it, that that makes more sense to you? Because then it's like you, you, you don't have, you, you're standing in your subjectivity, you're not, uh, you're not overlaying it with an objective criteria such as a point or a hat. Exactly. I, I, think, I think you totally understand what, what I try to say is that feedbacks are important, right? People, journalists who are writing are important for us to improve or keep on going what we are doing. But having a, like a rating system, I think that's the problem. And also it can be really uh, detrimental for the restaurant because some people might not just push the door of the restaurant because they lo- lose hats. Uh, or they, uh, yeah, they will stop just visiting a restaurant just because someone write about it that it was a bit like drink the cool hate, you know, which is, I don't understand why, you know, it's so important for people to read review before making a, a reservation. Mm, it's interesting. I mean, I, I can I can really see it from both sides, and I think you know so can many restaurateurs because yeah, it's bad to lose a hat, but on the other hand, it's great to get one because the customers do come, and I think we can see from the popularity of review sites online, and I'm not saying that I love them, but you can see from the popularity that people look to look to guidance to decide where to spend their money. And I guess, you know, what is it? Are we, are we just lazy that we want that shorthand where it's like we want to score or we want to see some stars or some hats so that we can um, calibrate one restaurant against another without having to read, mm-hmm. you know, a whole bunch of words. Personally, I love the words, but I'm a writer. <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting. And, and, you know, I can say, you know, having written for the Good Food Guide for many years and having been in a room where the hats are discussed, you know, very carefully that... Um, it's it is taken pretty seriously, and the and the impact that it has on a business is also taken seriously. But that the first client, I suppose, that um, reviewers think about for the most part is the customer, and you know you really I, I always have in mind that person who it doesn't go out much. They've booked a babysitter, maybe they've saved up, and they just really want to have a great experience. And not, nothing you can do can guarantee them that. Um, but I suppose you just feel like perhaps you're trying to steer people to the right restaurant for them. Um, but yeah, I can, it, it's, it's, it's a really tricky space. And I think certainly in this, um, you know, reopening um, uh, restaurants, hopefully where, you know, come out of lockdowns um, forever. I'm touching all the wood that I can see around me right now. Uh, it's a big question for food media, like how do you, what do you or how do you rate restaurants? Um, yeah. And many publications are not scoring restaurants at the moment, I suppose, with with a sense of um, of the weight that those scores can carry. But, yeah, I don't know. Um, so, Ilanit, apart from that thorny issue, what do you think the future holds for Australian restaurants? Mm-hmm. Hopefully a lot of change. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm not sure what the future holds, but I, uh, there is a lot to do. And uh, if Open Table, Res Diary, OB and all those booking systems uh, wants to have a conversation about that, I'm happy to have it. And um, I can help for resources for in-house training. And uh, I wish that uh, foreigner will be back in our country really, really soon to help restaurant because it's lacking of uh, it's lacking of um, of staff at the moment, uh, and um, 
And yeah, that the mindset change also inside our kitchen and floor. And that would be that would be great too. It's a lot, isn't it? Um, yeah. What's what's your visa status? Uh, I'm permanent resident. Yay, that's great. Yes. Um, because yeah, I'm sure you have a, know a lot of people who went through some or are going through some really hard times just because of their um, their visa status, which is really bad. Um, and of course, there isn't the influx of foreigners that um, Australia is normally lucky to have. Do you see? Do you foresee more Australians wanting to go into hospitality? Mm, no, I haven't seen any, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I I don't know a lot of Australian working in hospitality, to be honest. I think I can I can count them on on both hands. So hopefully more and more because it's a beautiful industry where there is a lot to learn and meeting a lot of passionate people. You know, it's always uh, it's always good. Yeah, it's it is. I love it. Um, I love the bits that I see. But I um I agree with you that you know there are, there's a lot of positive change that can can still be made. Uh, Elanid, is there anything else that you'd like to say to the dirty linen crowd? No, thank you very much. I uh, really enjoy your podcast during uh, lockdown. That was great. Uh, and hopefully, yeah, I will keep on listening and discovering new people. You know, it's always good. <laughs> Are you going to listen to your chat? Uh, not sure. We'll see. We'll see. It's going to be weird. Uh-huh. I reckon you should. I reckon it's great. And, um, yeah, I'm sure we're going to see a lot more from you. Thank you so much, Ilanit Bard, for coming on for a chat. And, uh, yeah, good luck with Swanye and the journey that you're on. Thank you so much. Have a good day. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production. It's, yeah, it's a really tricky one because, you know, from a government point of view, I can... Uh...